Welcome back to another episode of Coach Coddle's Corner, where you get to hear some of the greatest stories from some of the greatest people in the world of lacrosse. Coach, who do we have on the podcast today? From Hempstead Turnpike to the Hall of Fame, it's Coddle's Corner. Special edition this week, we bring in Brian Spelina and Nikki Polanco, uh, Dave Coddle, and I'm Quinn Kesnick. Welcome, everybody. And this is going to be fun. Uh, I, I want I want you guys uh, to, to tell us some stories uh, about lacrosse, about your origins, about what you're doing now, about relationships, about teamwork, about defense. There's a lot to talk about. Welcome in, Brian and, and Nikki. Where are you guys uh, right now? Thanks for having us. Um, sitting home right now, actually, enjoying the backyard for the third time this entire summer. <laughs> Nikki, where so, are you? I just, right now, I couldn't hear anything until just now. If I missed anything, <laughs> sorry. It's okay. Where, 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 where are you at? You up in the woods? I'm, uh, I really wouldn't call it woods. I'm at Brewster, the lake house in Brewster, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. So, Brian, yeah. Brian, you're, you're still on the island, correct? Yeah. How far how far do you live from where you grew up? I live uh, live in Massapequa now, which is about an hour from my hometown, uh, a little closer to Hofstra. We landed here from uh, from college. Wife was working in the city at the time, and uh, we landed in Massapequa. Nikki, you still got any Oceanside roots? I do. My parents are still there. Uh, my my grandfather and uh, my two of my aunts, my mother's side. The when did you guys did you guys uh, pick up lacrosse at the, at the rec age in your towns on on the island? Uh, for me, it was yeah, my bro. brother. My brothers were in middle school, so I guess I was probably in like sixth grade, fifth to sixth grade uh, when I picked it up. My brothers were started it in middle school, you know, that when they were in seventh and eighth grade, and uh, I was just kind of the punching bag for the backyard, maybe even a goalie at some points. Uh, but that was my introduction to it. Yeah, mine was um, same thing. Older brother Armando, four years older. Mother would not let us play any contact sports until we were in seventh grade. Uh, so it was soccer until then. Seventh grade, I picked up a stick, minus the the gym class here and there. But seventh grade is when I started. Seventh grade, wow, that's not unbelievable the way that has changed. I mean, <laughs> so, I mean now now we got like USA uh, seventh grade select teams. <laughs> I have a, a 2036. <laughs> that's, that's all I can say. <laughs> when, when did you guys fall in love with it? I mean, for, for me, I mean, I was just, I just loved competition. So much like Nick, I mean, I played soccer growing up. My hometown didn't have football. Um, so I, I just loved competition. So, I, I mean, I remember right out of the gate, just really enjoying the, you know, the junior high was kind of my first games. And then, from that, we would play in summer leagues. It wasn't necessarily the same type of circuit it is today, far from it. But we play once or twice a week out in uh, Ward Melville and a couple of leagues out there. And I, mean, I kind of remember just loving it right away, just loving the competition of it, the speed of the sport, and the, you know, the physicality of it. Nikki? Yeah. Uh, yeah. My end, uh, you, know, I, uh, you know, I feel like, my mother holding his back so long in the middle of three boys and just like Brian said the competition was the foundation part of it because my brothers and I would do was pretty much compete every day who poured the fastest bowl of cereal who uh you know got to the schoolyard first and then now you put to get that on the field with a game like lacrosse you know the physical end of it which I was held back from up until seventh grade I loved the contact 
you could hit somebody and then the speed like running up you know i just love to run as a kid so running up and down the constant back and forth and then the last thing is really the challenge of it i felt like was uh like it was such a difficult game going against the wall the bouncing the ball back and forth that would never get it right early on still didn't get it right towards the end of my career but uh I just like the challenge, the competition, and then the physicality. How'd you guys end up with Hofstra? Uh, you want to? Um, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, watch this. Uh, going back, you'll hear me say family a bunch throughout this call, but it, it's really family, right? So um, I, you know, had the option to go away to school, uh, just very, being very close, family-oriented traditions, didn't want to miss much, had the opportunity to play at a high level there. And then really followed my older brother, you know, it was, uh, he, you know, he had a great experience when he was there. Um, and, you know, I just I didn't want to re really recreate the wheel there. It was, it was awesome. It was, you know, awesome schedule, great competition, awesome staff. And um, that's kind of it. Just really my focal point was staying home with my family. They have a ton of people up in the stands at all times. It was just, uh, I had the best of both worlds. Yes. For, so for me, it was kind of the recruiting process at that time, obviously it was much different. Um, but I was two schools recruited me, Connecticut College. I believe the coach at that time was Fran Shields, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, Hartwick. And it was Brian Breck was like the maybe even a volunteer assistant at that time. And I remember Breck coming to school and just, you know, he was he made strong pushes for Hartwick. Those are the only two schools I visited. Uh, my brother, Eric, was at Hofstra and convinced Dino to come to, which is crazy when you think about it. It was like my last game senior year of high school, uh, a playoff game. And I think Dino stayed for like a half and, uh, you know, spoke to him later that night and offered a spot with, you know, the, the option, you know, the opportunity to earn scholarship in the, in the years forward. So I took him up on it. Um, you know, like Nick, my brother was there and, uh, you know, he kind of made a, a strong push for me to, to go there and Italian family close to home seemed like the perfect fit and couldn't be happier with it. John Donowski was a high school teacher on Long Island. He became an assistant at CW Post under Tony Seaman. I think in the mid 80s he was there. Uh, then he became the head coach at Post before he became head coach at at Hofstra and, and really part one of his career. What was what was Dino like? Uh, as a as a new head coach of the Sasser program that seemed to be moving up up the charts. Um, I was there before Nick. Unfortunately, Nick and I never overlapped at Hofstra. I wish we did, but we never did. Uh, so it wasn't until we got into the pros. But you know, I think uh, a lot of the things hold true for Dino that that you hear now. You know, like he just kind of built the culture, and and uh, you know, I was like a father figure to the group. Um, I think the Hofstra guys are definitely a little bit different than I think he probably admittedly would say the same than he experiences now at Duke. And I think the recruiting is probably much different. Um, we, we always, we had really good core guys there. Um, you know, and that's a credit to, I guess, the work that he and his staff did recruiting those guys in and maybe getting lucky in some cases with guys like Shanahan and having the football, uh, you know, the, to, to throw into the mix for recruiting him. Um, but yeah, Dino was great. Uh, you know, same, same type of things you, you hear now. Like we used to go to his house in Farmingdale and team, team meals. And we, some of the best uh, bonding we had was, uh, I wonder if the place is actually still there, but we rented out this little indoor rink. I don't even know if you could call it a rink. I mean, it was, 
probably a, a maybe a quarter of the size of a regular hockey rink and we used to play you know five on five and just get after it strong but uh but those types of things really built the bond uh you know when we were at Hofstra and I feel like in those years we had a lot of success with the guys that we had yeah definitely echo Brian you know my, my fo- what's that sorry no I was going to ask Go you ahead, what sorry. impact coach Stanowski had on you during that stage you know tremendous and, and kind of exactly what my brother had talked to me about in his experience and to me, I was fortunate enough to get opportunities to play elsewhere at very high levels, some great coaches as well. But going back to family and, you know, my father always saying that, you know, my father was, you know, he worked his whole life, worked during the week, worked side jobs on the weekends and wasn't a sports guy. Never played in his life. Never had a catch necessarily. Never, never really understood the game, which is but you afforded us the opportunity to play sports from a young level, right? And, you know, he always said that our coaches were an extension of him. So we weren't with him, we were with coaches and, you know, back in the day, you'd get a coach that was difficult or, you know, very stern or disciplined. And, and I would come home and say, you know, coach Woods or somebody yelled at me and he would say, what'd you do wrong? But today, you know, coach yells at a kid and it's, you know, it's the coach's fault. Right. So he always said an extension of him. And that's what coach Dino was coach. It was like a sidestep from my house, right. To Hofstra was, it was family. He was like a father figure, kept everybody together. There was tradition meals together you know just overall experience some not all great you know got in a little bit of trouble we got in trouble together and he embraced it taught us about it and really was just you know again off the field not just on the field life lessons um unbelievable experience and he said he still like you know coach a bunch of boys as well as brian at duke and they tell us stories the players on how he goes back to talking about Hofstra and the turnpike tough guys and you know um, how we just played different and we, you know, he wanted them to play more like us and we didn't necessarily all have the best skill, the most skill, but you know, one of the best players, we were the right players and uh, role guys willing to accept. And he just had, uh, he put something really special together and, you know, we had an awesome experience. Tremendous. Yeah. Nikki, your pro career was defined by, you know, dominant defensive play, uh, able to cover the best, other team's best player and shut them down and do so emphatically. Uh, I'm guessing that wasn't always the case, but like what were turning points in your development? What were, where were the growth points? What were some key things that, that maybe got you to that point? Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that. I, you know, early on starting, you know, I played midfield. I I was a short stick seventh grade all the way to ninth grade playing varsity and, um, you know, always having, you know, my older brother played defense, mom played defense from the beginning, but I was a midfielder. I just loved to run up and down. Uh, we were short a, short a defense defenseman in practice one day. Coach handed me a stick, and uh, the rest is history. I was an offensive-minded defenseman. I uh, loved to run up and down the field. So, um, you know, playing midfield and transition to defense, you know, I just kind of just listened to whatever the coaches said. I just was – I wanted to just play. I wanted to compete. I wanted to be challenged at all times. And I think that's what it was. I think that, um, you know, coach would say, this is the best guy on the team. Can you handle this? Can you cover him? And whether I believed it or not, I made myself believe it and, and, and did the best I could and, and really was preparation. Like I love to prepare for that challenge, you know, and, and getting my teammates around me better, right? So I'm covering the best guy, but I'm going to get beaten trying to get my teammates around me better. Like guys like Brian, leaders, guys I've played with throughout my career, I can name a million names, but, you know, to help me, right? So to help my teammates, help me accept uh, um, these challenges. But I think that, 
between, you know, getting the short from short stick to long pole in high school. And then we're introduced to Nassau Community College to a guy named George Powers, you know, Coach George Powers. I feel like, you know, I had the foundation for my family, my upbringing. And I always tell people that he kind of opened up my back and rewired me um, and kind of turned me into the next level, right? The player of the next level to be to, you know, becoming, you know, great or elite or whatever. But that was what he always expected and demanded and going to coach Nassau with his spin on it. And I just was so, so blessed and fortunate to have coaches throughout my career to continue to learn up until the end with Coach Cottle and the rest of the coaches I've had throughout my pro career. Like, I was always willing to learn. I didn't know it all. Uh, I know Coach Cottle might have thought I did it sometimes, <laughs> but that was just me going back and forth. That <laughs> I just uh, I listened and learned and loved it and embraced everybody. And that's, you know, there really was a few turning points, but I just think overall, just my path was not really traditional, but it was uh, the best, so. Brian, at the pro level, uh, you won a ton of rings, so almost two handfuls. Uh, you, you were known as as a great leader, a fiery competitor who who would who would find himself in the penalty box at times. But lacrosse is a violent game, and and you towed that line. But the, from a leadership standpoint, was that always who you were at high school, college, and then early in pro? Did it change? Did you? suddenly realize hey if no one's going to step up I got to be that guy like tell me about your evolution as as a leader first of all I'm a little disappointed at Nick I felt like you gave him a layup there he could have said the comfort of knowing I was going to be his one slide would help oh, there you go. that's not a bad place to be you know I mean come on he gave the guy a but layup. he was in a box half the time he was in a box half the time so there really wasn't an open <laughs> slide as often as you think <laughs> Coach, we're starting already. Sorry, Coach. <laughs> yeah, we're still in the roots part here. Take it easy, right? Uh, great, great question. And uh, it's funny, man. I just a few days ago was talking to some of the boys I coach. And uh, when I was in college, I remember my last game against Maryland at UMBC. You, know, you mentioned Dino. I remember walking across the field. At the end, I gotta shuffle around here. All right, he has some leaf. What's going on? Um, Dino, Tierney, Bill Wilson, and Sean Smith all sitting there, and uh, them saying to me, uh, you know, I, you know, went and saw my family, whatnot, walking back across, and they're sitting on the bench. And they said, you did everything you could do. You know, you played awesome. You know, it was their moment to come from me, I guess, you know. And Sorry. I, rem I, I remember feeling, like, disappointed. I think we lost by two or three goals. And uh, what I was disappointed in was one of the guys we still coach a bunch with is one of my closest friends, Chris Rogler. Chris and I lived in a house with a whole bunch of guys. And... For some years, I mean, we would get up and do our thing, right? Like we'd go out, we would do extra. We'd go out and hit the wall. We would go out and we would run. And we would go out and lift or, you know, practice would be over. We would, it was always, you know, something to do more. And uh, I remember like in that moment, and I, this is what I was expressing to the kids, like the regret I have is that I, that we were going out and doing it, but I wasn't dragging, you know, the six guys along with me in the house or, you know, and whatever I made to myself moving forward, like, you know, if I'm going to do it and we're going to do it and we're going to have success, I mean, lacrosse is a team sport. So, yes, I, I, you know, been a part of championships, but there's zero chance I would have one of them 
without the support of the guys I was with. And so that was kind of like a moment for me where I just kind of pledged to myself, like, you know, if I'm going to do it, we're going to do it. And I kind of stuck, stuck by that. It was always a little tricky, obviously in the, in the pro league, because you weren't with guys all the time, but we had email and uh, text messages to help hold each other accountable and always seemed to be a good, uh, you know, good recipe for success. Take me in the locker room before a, or take me to practice before a pro game. Like you, you got guys with different expectation levels. You got guys with different work ethics. You got guys who are different in terms of wanting to win and like they're, 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 they're buy-in. Like how, how do you try to convince the, the, the guys who are borderline that that's not going to work here? I think it's, it's unique. I mean, it's a, it still is unique, right? These guys are traveling a lot and, uh, it's unique. And I think, you know, probably one of the best, biggest successes guys like myself and Nick had was lasting as long as we did in the league, because you had to do those things on your own, you know, and, and you have to, you know, you're trying out year after year against these kids that have been going five hours a day in college at the highest level. And, you know, we're at home raising kids, you know, and holding jobs and doing our thing and going out and working out and training on our own. So, I mean, I feel like, you know, you, you get wiser as you get older in it and you have more experience with it. And those experiences, you know, we weren't going to we weren't going to sit back and be secondhand to to motivating guys or holding guys accountable and, and pushing through it. Um, and that was just something I feel like we always stuck by. Uh, we, you know, in our minds, that it, it was there was no excuse for not being great. It's funny we still have these text chains and communications and emails and with guys that we played with through the years. Uh, you know, there's a there's a Bayhawks one that's going around still. I mean, things come up, funny stories. Uh, for for us, I think, like you said, everybody approaches it different. But for us, I think it was always keeping it loose and keeping guys accountable and motivating when we had to with the experiences that we had and and that again was a good recipe for the success of the groups i want you guys to story tell about some moments uh moments in your career it can be any you could be a peewee high school college pro even now uh most excited to play a lacrosse game when we were when i was when, most excited. when, when were you most excited to play a lacrosse game could be for any reason too. It could be a championship game because because you wanted to take someone's head off, or or you were playing in front of a, a, a new hot girlfriend. It could have been a million reasons. Ah, uh, Nick, you want to take this one first? Oh my gosh, I know that's coming in on. But I was, I mean, any chance? My mind is going right now. Yeah, it's like uh... my mind is going. I mean, it from from just playing, you know, back when I was in college to playing any Maryland team. It was just, you know, the way we were obviously wired and we were coached to, you know, Long Island versus Maryland. You know, it was – those were huge. Um, you know, the Virginia game when we played at Hofstra, you know, we played in the uh, quarterfinals. Um, and then even yeah. to my pro, um, where to me, like, any championship game, to me, like, you play this game, you put all the time in and the sacrifice from family, from everybody to be in a championship, to win a championship, nothing else talk about covering the best guy, personal accolades, it's to win a championship. And I just think that uh, it's very hard. Denver games were great, Brian, right? And we had such a rivalry that 
uh, uh, that yeah. you know, might have started uh, punching, what's his name in the face. Or, or, <laughs> yes. Um, it's very hard, Quinn. I'm sorry. And I wish I could nail down. I mean, it's, you know, from my family, from my firstborn to, you know, my first game, um, you know, playing in front of. Um, it, it's tough. <laughs> to get, bro, you yeah. could. Yeah, I think it's hard to hone in on one moment or one game. And I think Nick hit it on the head, like with the championship games, right? Those are always exciting. Any type of playoff game. But I don't know. I think, you know, if you're not willing to compete in every game to be as special as, you know, the next, right? I mean, then why even play sports? And it's kind of the message that we always pass on to kids. Like, you know, I don't if it's a practice ground ball drill, you better play it like it's the championship game if you want to get you know, if you want to have that success, you want to taste that success either today, tomorrow, or the next day. Um, you know, that's uh, funny you said that, bro. Like that's, I, I was actually going to say, I actually enjoyed practice as much as games, and especially in the pro level. You know, because we didn't get to see each other all the time. We did; it was so awesome. Whether it was locally with Long Island or Philly, and then even more with Bayhawks, like going back to you know, leaders and, and getting people together on a team, like keeping everybody like sometimes, you know, you lead by example and sometimes obviously it's a vocal and, and I was a vocal guy, but we also tried to lead by example by just showing up, right? Get the practice coach Kala would and, 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 and BK would get us. Like I'd have a family with kids at home. And if we would show up to practice on a Tuesday and then fly home and then fly back in for the weekend, like just to show, you didn't have to say anything, just us being there and then having some awesome practices. It was like a different sweat. It was such a competitive, Best out of 10, Coach Cotto would come to practice with different offensive plays all the time to, to throw us off. Um, none of them really worked well in practice. They didn't games. Uh, <laughs> cotton candy, alligator, whatever. I remember Gator. I remember all these things. Like it was, And it was just such a – I was so excited. Man up always was terrible in practice. Yeah. <laughs> so I was so excited to, play, to practice. <laughs> to me, the practices were so great. The games were easy almost sometimes. Like, we practice so – hard and we cared so much and we got after it like we battled just had to throw that in there but if you agree yeah Brian. no you hey, Quinn, I, Quinn, go, go coach Quinn I'd like to jump in there one thing and talk about these two guys when they came to the Bayhawks and uh I, I think the first game we played to get was up at Hamilton uh, we had just <laughs> traded for Nikki Brian had been on the team I think we got John Grant too and all of a sudden we're playing Hamilton and it was like a whole different mantra, a whole different group of people. But th these guys would fly from, you know, Brian was a teacher. Nikki was a salesman. They would get in the car. They would get to the airport. And those guys would show up at Navy Marine Corps Stadium. And they would start getting dressed in the vehicle so that they could get out there as fast as they could. And then, we, you know, we'd have another star player who would do a probably a 75 minute stretch for pregame to make sure he was nice and stretched for uh before we played a game but those guys the the competitive what they did that. yeah what they did for our team culture for the competitiveness and you you asked that question everything mattered to these guys i can still remember quint you were doing the color or, or the play-by-play -play for an MLL championship in Philadelphia. And we, Denver was a team that was undefeated beforehand. And then we, we were playing uh, uh, the Carolina team, uh, uh, Charlotte, in the championship game. And we were in the tunnel. And the game, uh, or we were getting ready to go on. And the enthusiasm, the passion, 
uh, that these guys brought to the table and the whole team brought to the table. I said, I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen, but they better be damn good today because we are going to make them fight. And, uh, and that's what those guys were about. They were from competition, whether it be in practice, they kept score, man up, man down, the competition, and, and they did it for every single team they played for. And and that's what made it so special, and, and that's what makes them special. And they did something I didn't think was humanly possible. Those, those two started with Mike Evans. They made Mike Evans the nice guy on the defense. And that's hard to do. Everybody said, what when Evans is the nice guy? And, and I can just tell you a story from us. We, we lost in 2000. We won it in 10. We lost in 11. And we felt like we had to change the, the, the mentality a little bit. of it, We were a little softer on defense than we wanted to. And the first thing we did, I think we got a, we traded Brian for a bag of balls from Ohio at the time. Uh, <laughs> and then we wound up adding Nikki and it changed, it changed the entire, it changed the course of the Bayhawks. It changed the course of the locker room. When Brian's first day of practice, Brian Spelina, I see him. He, he's not sitting with Nikki. He's not sitting with John Grant or Casey Powell. He's sitting with the young guys. And Brian started building that culture. And then when those guys got to the field, Nikki, and the, they, they, they didn't tell them how to practice. They showed them how to practice. And to me, that was one of the real benefits or one of the, the most positive things that happened for me was the MLL is watching what these guys, how they kind of took over the team and, uh, and made our team, you know, back-to-back -back champions. I'm glad this is being recorded. Yeah, that that that's forever. Uh, who do you guys love? Who do who, who did you guys love to play against? Uh, who who did you dislike playing against for for whatever reasons? I want to talk matchups here. You have uh, you have any memories? You have any rivalries or or you know players who 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 you look forward to who made you better? I personally have a laundry list. You know, just not just. <laughs> natural reasons i would i would uh i would make them like i would tell you know i would even if i liked them and they're my friend i'd i'd, I'd study them in film i'd watch a ton a ton of film and i'd try and get whatever information i can about them and I'd, even if i was friends again i would pretend like they did something wrong that i, that I didn't like them so it become a challenge so i didn't have to be mr nice guy for 60 minutes and i could you know just flip that switch and then afterwards do what i have to do but there are other that were just naturally competitive with from the beginning with, you know, with uh, Casey, uh, then Mark Millen and I, what we had, a, you know, we had a battle for a long time. And then John Grant Jr., um, you know, was another one. And then I'd even go up top to Jalbert sometimes. Him and I would go at it and scrap. I never forget I got traded back to the Lizards after like, you know, a couple of years of the barrage and just battling, you know, fish fights or whatever it is. And then I see him in the locker room. He put our arms out and be like, hey, you know, we give each other a hug. And it was, you know, but, you know, Junior, Millen, you know, and then obviously down to the younger guys, you know, Mundorf and I, um, was very very healthy rival you know comp you know com competition um, you know but uh, I could keep going I mean fortunately it was such a, I, had, I was so blessed to be able to play with so many different guys and generations early on when I started till the very end against you know Rabel Pinnell so and my path was a little different uh, Quint I actually enjoyed covering the slowest third guy on the depth chart <laughs> I wouldn't leave the crease bag of milk <laughs> <laughs> That was the guy, like, uh, you know, I mean, listen, I, Nikki uh, mentioned, obviously, 
some great, great guys. And whether I was covering those guys or not, it was always an honor to be on the field and compete against those similar guys. I remember one time, uh, younger part of my career when I was on the Philly Barrage and uh, Boston was real good at that time. They had Connor Gill, Evans, and I think Watson. And, uh, you know, there was no no even uh, a no easy matchup that you were going to get. And I think I drew Connor Gill two games in a row. And game one, I was like a psycho, like chasing him all over the place and being a lunatic. And, you know, he, he got he got me for two goals or something, you know. And then the next game, I remember walking out on the field and Resch being like, listen, just let a dude be a dude. Like, don't go chasing him. You're going to create, you know, like you got him, like, you, you know. Stop chasing him. You're forcing him to do things he doesn't want to do when he's scoring, you know. And to that, to Tony's credit in that moment, like, I let a dude be a dude and honed it down. And, and you know, he, he kind of circulated the ball instead of dodging to the goal. But that was always a fun one. Uh, you know, he was, he was always a great matchup because he was so well-rounded. Did you guys play with, with, with Sal uh, when he was with the Lizards that one year and then with Doc mostly? Who, who, who was your keeper? Yeah, Sal, uh, Nicky wasn't in the was, – I don't know, were you in the league that first year, Nick? I'm not sure if he was in the first year. I, I, I was with Sal that first the, the second year, I put Jimmy, Jimmy Muley. Yeah, Jimmy Muley was my goalie Muley. the first year. So. Yeah, Sal was probably the first year with the Lizards and then uh, – Yes. And then Doc. So you, uh, you both ended up playing for Bridgeport? It was. It turned to Philly the year yeah. that we both went to it. Philly, uh, I'm sorry, the year I went to it turned to Philly. But Nikki got, I think, drafted to Bridgeport, right? So that was the Philly team yeah, that so won the Bridgeport championship for the first couple of years. That was the Philly team that yeah. won the championship. Nikki, you turned to me after I I shredded you guys early in the year. What were you guys like, uh, two and six or something? That or, or two and one and oh, five was awful. it? <laughs> yeah. And you had all this talent, and I'll never forget that. <laughs> Uh, Beninati was like, Nikki's coming after you. I'm like, oh shit. That was it was at the Nickerson <laughs> Field. But I remember you guys yep. had a lot of talent on that team. And it was I found it like, Tons. man, this team oh. what happened on that team? How were you able to turn it around? Uh because you guys were in last place, I think, midway through the season. Yeah. Yes, we were. You guys like Colsey, I, say, uh, I mean it was incredible. We just it was I'm pretty I'm pretty yeah, sure talking about Philly. The Philly, yeah. the Philly Barrage Championship when you're like two and five or something. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that the yeah. turning point was the college draft and we got Boyle. Really? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, to his credit, we had some gunslingers yeah. on that team with like Strebel and Colsey and offensive, you know, I think we had Springer, uh, Keith Cromwell, you know, some guys that could really put a hole in the net. Um, but he was, I, I think it took like, oh yeah, Blake Miller, who I think like broke the scoring record that year. Um, I remember, I think it took like a game, you know, Boyle came out and it was just like, you know, I could be making part of this up, but it was something to the effect of like, listen, just get the ball through X and we'll score goals, you know? And sure enough, you know, he was, he was such a smart player and distributed the ball so well that. The guys kind of bought into it, and instead of Roy dodging people, he was catching in space and ripping holes on the net and Springer, too. And then you had Blake, who was just kind of all over the place, flying around. and Incredible cutter. Yeah. And I want to say yeah, that Ryan that, was like a, a, a goalie, too. So it's like you take a little more pressure off the, the defense and the goalies by scoring goals, and it just kind of everything kind of fell into place for us. 
with that group. Ryan was like having another coach, as you guys know, later in his career, but early on, you know, a younger guy, so smart, played beyond his years, just with poise and just so comfortable that he was like having another coach in the field. And we just really brought all of those guys together and demanded, right, demanded us to, 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 be, to be great, but just took control, and it was, uh, it was awesome. Made everybody comfortable. And now, exactly, bro, that was the turning point, I was going to say. Yeah. And it took a buy-in, too, right? I mean, it's still like this, right? Like, every player in the league could, could be the star player, but it took a buy-in from guys that, you know, if Strebel's catching it off of two passes and dodging the backside, it makes Strebel better. If Roy's catching it off two passes for a step down, that's at that point in his career that made him better, you know? And then if he didn't have to dodge 10 times a game, he only had to dodge two times a game. It, all the pieces kind of fell into place there with that group. And uh, that was fun. Yeah, that was, that was that fun was to watch. Uh, I, I want you guys to talk about adversity, whether it's off the field, on the field. What, uh, what was the point? Uh, what was the biggest challenge that, that you faced during your lacrosse career? uh as a person and 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 how did you deal with that and and get through it um there's a few things out and not to take it part unless you want to jump go ahead i could uh, i could go first um i think i kind of two two failures that led to success maybe for me was uh you know i was kind of a and Coach Cotto was instrumental in one of them. But I was on the Lizards, you know, starting every game, contributing um, some some whatever different things had come up and college draft. And there was the thought process that, you know, somebody was could could replace me on that team. Um, and as Cotto jokingly, but not really sent, you know, six greasers and two Gatorade water bottle caps to the <laughs> Lizards in return for me. Um, you know, I, maybe I was, I think, was it Chicago? I don't even know. At that point, Quinn, I was like released, released. And maybe like, Chicago, was it Chicago? I don't know. Somebody picked me up. It and was the Ohio machine. Up. It was the Ohio, Ohio machine. machine. Picked yeah. you up and he, he drafted. It, it was like a, you know, a trade for a trade kind of thing or whatever. But at that point, I was so angry, and I don't know if Koch remembers this, but I remember going to the practice facility down there in Maryland, driving down, you know, the crack of dawn to get down there, and uh, and I wore my orange barrage helmet, you know, peeled the stickers off the orange barrage helmet and wore that instead of the lizard uh, green helmet just because I had so much uh, animosity towards the way it kind of went down because it wasn't like, you know, I was not contributing to the team. It was just the difference of opinion at that point and uh you know and for me that was a moment where like not that it was a failure but a disappointment that somebody or some group just didn't think I had it anymore shipped me out to, to the Bayhawks where I could uh fortunately be an asset to them and uh, go on to win the next two two in a row for them and the second one is maybe I'm the only person in uh U.S. lacrosse history that could say that I was cut from the same team twice uh, there was a went to um, the tryout at Bryant, I believe. However many guys get invited, you know, eighty something guys, and it got cut down to forty something guys, uh, and I was cut. And you know, no one likes to be cut, but a couple of months had gone by. My son was born. 
Um, so this was probably 09. He was born 09. So it was around that time. And uh, my son was born. I remember playing two games in a row. I don't remember what team he was on at the time, but Junior was on uh, whatever team he was on. The team I was on had played them two times in a row. Maybe it was the barrage. And, uh, and I had success against Junior, which was not always easy to do. Um, and I got the call back from, from the coach at the time. I'll remain nameless. Um, got the call back to go, uh, go back to three weeks of camp. We went to Navy. We went to Army. And uh, Stony Brook was the third, the third week. And my point at that moment was like, listen, I'm all in. Obviously, this would be an honor to play for Team USA. But I don't have time to waste. I have a newborn. I was kicking up Team 91, you know, the tournament season. And I just said, you know, listen, I'm not looking for a guarantee, but please don't waste my time. And the words to me were, you know, we can't guarantee you, but this is the right thing for you. You know, you, you should come out. Anyway, went out three weeks, waited till 9.15 that night, got the phone call and got cut for the second time. So. For me, that was a motivating factor where uh, those two kind of failures motivated me to be a little more pissed off uh, in the game and, and work a little bit harder to prove people wrong. Yeah, for me, um, I won't be as long-winded and emotional and dramatic as Brian, but um, <laughs> I could, I could, uh, I could, uh, I will, uh, I could tell you the two quick ones are, um, you know, having good amount of success in high school and then into college um trying out for the usa team 2002 um making the team and then um being told i was an alternate um and not to get into uh, obviously too many details but there's obviously there are politics in general and everything we do and whether if there were or they weren't um from the amount of people that would come up to me and talk to me about how they feel like we would, you know, I'd be able to help the team by being on the field, um, tra traveling to Australia, right? But making the team, not being told exactly I was an alternate right away, that there was a chance I was going to play. And uh, I got told uh, two days before that I wasn't going to play for any of the games. Um, you know, I guess there was a rule. If you don't play the first two games, you can't play after. I forgot exactly what it was, the detail. But travel to Australia with the team with the hopes of knowing that I was going to play with my family, you know, leaving my family for a month. Um, a uh, tremendous amount of, uh, of talent on the team, no question. Um, and again, going from having the success I had prior and not with anything, ex you know, no expectations, I thought not automatic, just feeling like I kind of deserve to, you know, earn the spot. Um, and then being told again two days before, I think it was a second game, first game, that I wasn't going to be able to play any of the games. It was definitely a blow and a half. And being away from family, being in Australia with that, you know, the nights were tough being in the room, but, you know, you, you become, you know, you, you, you know, I became a better teammate then, right? I learned, I was humbled. Uh, you know, that was another chip on my shoulder that I added to, you know, to my, my, uh, my game. And that stayed with me for a while and it helped me. It helped me tremendously. And I'm glad it happened. If I had to do it all over again, I would want the same exact thing. Again, it was a very, very good learning experience. Um, tell me about being. Tell me about being parents. You guys are still involved in the game. Obviously, Brian, Team ninety one, Nikki, you're coaching. Uh, 
what's a good parent? What's a good lacrosse parent? What's a bet? What are some common mistakes that lacrosse parents you, you see making? Like help, help parents navigate. Like what, 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 what's a good parent do? Am I just rolling the ball out and having a catch in the backyard? Am I taking my kid to private lessons? Am I going to 17 events? Like, like, I, I think there's, there's parents out there who are, who are looking for guidance. I think this one, bro. What's that? First. You? I think this one first, quick. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, is that right? I feel like what I thought, my son Nicholas is 11. So what I thought early on and what I think now are two different things. And that's only, he's only 11 years old. Three boys, really? 11, eight, yeah. and four. Yeah. So that's only 11, you know, 11 years. What I thought I was doing was right and compared to now. And I feel like the answer is, just being present, right? Being present, like coaching the boys, you know, I'm coaching my son, so I'm with them. Well, you know, on the way to, on the way there, you're not always listening early on. I wasn't listening. I was making work phone calls or trying to figure out practice or putting out fires in my daily life. And then, yeah, they were in the, they were in the car, but I wasn't present, um, you know, hard on my son because I demanded more as a coach, coaching my kids and people forewarned me about, you know, how difficult it is to coach your son. I'm, I'm going to be different. I'm going to be different. I'm not going to do those things. And while I did it, and I was very close to turning them off early on, and I learned now they just need us. They need our time. They need us, our, our attention, um, not to chase whatever else is going on. Um, you know, I need my son to be the best fifth grade lacrosse player in the country right now. I need him to be a good person, make the right decisions, be a good teammate. And the rest, I feel like, will work itself out. You know, I talk about my path. It wasn't the most traditional one. Didn't start till late. Didn't go to the, all the big schools early on. And I feel like, and I always tell everybody, my, my, my example is get down and play Legos, right? So when you're young, you know, the kids who come home from work and they'll say, dad, come down and play Legos with me. There's nothing more uncomfortable, I think, um, than laying down on the floor, six foot five and 200 plus chains laying on the floor and playing with Legos for an hour. It's very uncomfortable. But in the end, they're only going to ask you so long, right? Eventually, they're not going to ask you anymore. And I have a four-year-old still that I'm holding on to. But, you know, just being present, being there, um, they don't need everything, you know, all the, the, the materialistic, all the money, you know, iPads, this, that, vacations, they just need us. So now transferring over to the lacrosse world and, and, you know, I'm in, I'm in obviously with coaching with team 91 and I love it. I love being there. Now I'm just trying to figure out the balance, right? The balance and not just, you know, trying to talk to the parents, the car rides, you know, I talked about this, there's a great business. I think we probably could all go into is, is therapy or, you know, uh, different drills as you see with parents on how to, you know, the car ride to a game, the car ride home from a bad practice, from a loss, you know, being present, not being on the phone, with uh, a, a fellow parent talking about how bad the coaches are, or how bad this is, because the kids are listening. We know as coaches who those parents are who speak in front of their children. So, you know, um, taking the pressure off of these kids from, they have enough from us at home, from school, you know, just in general and being, you know, starting and, you know, um, so I feel like taking the pressure off of these kids, it's not, you know, I think would make things a lot better, but, you know, it just, the talks in general, being present and listening and, um, you know, there's so much more, but I, I won't take much more time. That's an amazing answer. That, Nick, that was an, a, a really, really, really good answer for uh, my daughter's a gymnast. And, and, you know, you said three or four things there that, that I, I know, I know I, I'm, I could do better at. So thank you for that. Brian, you, you're around it quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a un, very, very unique, um, you know, question because, we've kind of been there and done it in the game. Um, we have these connections, 
you know, we have these relationships, we go to these tournaments and like, you know, we'll run into guys that we know and we, and we've played with and I'm always cautious about it a little bit more with my son. My, I have two girls and one's in it and one's just getting in it. Um, but so my, more of my experiences with my son right now, but he, you know, it, it's one of the hardest things. So there's two folds to your question, right? Cause you asked about like, yeah, like what's good, what, what's good and what's bad. Like you see it all the time. So, yeah. So, I mean, like from a personal standpoint, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is be a parent and a coach, you know? And, and, and I think Nick and I share the same mentality of just this blue collar, go out and earn it, you know? And that's kind of what, what we both thrive to instill in our kids and the teams we coach. So from a coaching standpoint, it's unique, you know, being a coach, having our experience and, uh, and, you know, I, I don't want to say sound like a jerk, but the stature, I guess, that we've reached in the game and, and known players. And, and I don't want my kids to ever feel that pressure um, because of it, but sometimes it's hard and it's really hard. Like, they do feel it, you know, and, and for for my son Rocco, like he has his, his his cousins that are having success in it, right? And like they're kind of carrying this name, you know, and and it's like I just want him to love it, you know. And for for a little bit in the beginning, like he 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 not that he didn't love it, he was just young, you know, and then he started to like really love it. And same like Nick said, like I leave it on the field. I don't want to talk about it in the car. If he brings it up, I'll talk about it. If he doesn't, it's over on the field because nobody else has to feel that dad as a coach situation. Uh, so we don't, we we really don't talk about it in the car unless he asks. If he asks, he engages, or my daughter asks or engages, then I'll let them know how I feel. But if they don't, they don't, and that's it because nobody else has to experience that. Uh, but then from a parental standpoint too, like just trusting the process of what they're actually signing up for trust us so you know and i think every situation is unique and a little bit different every you know they, they could have different types of coaches that maybe they're not happy with but sometimes it's not supposed to be perfect right like I, your kid is supposed to face some adversity he's supposed to get cut from a team or struggle or not be a starter and like that's part of the process for that kid and it doesn't mean that you have to call and complain or you know, or sign him up for 15 other things. Like that's his moment where he has to like sniff it out and fit and figure it out, you know? And, and most of the time I feel like, and I could just think to this one kid, I, I coach, like he was a starter for, for this, you know, our team and he's young or whatever. And he always played and played and played. And there was just like this little period of time where there's some awkwardness in him and his body type and where he was struggling. And like, he wasn't starting for a little bit and the parents never said one single word. You know, and then little by little, this kid just chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. And now he's like one of our top defenders on this team, this particular team. Right. And then there's the other side where parents put unnecessary stress on kids who have incredible talent and then they fade because of it. You know, I mean, we didn't have that pressure. Um, we, we're ultra competitors, but my, my, you know, my parents, they weren't sitting there at practice watching it. They, you know, they would come to the game, watch the game. And that was that. Um, so there's like a lot of folds to it. I know the the one thing that does frustrate me and, and, and from a, uh, I don't know, I, I'm not big into the whole social media part of it, but when people challenge 
you know, well, you know, why are you paying this money and doing this and doing that? Well, I welcome those people to come to one of the practices, myself, Nick, or any of the 91 guys for that matter are running because the passion is real. The organization is real. The drills are real. The love for these kids is real. I mean, we have parties at our houses with, you know, I, I, I had a, two days ago, I had a hundred people run around my backyard all because they play on this one team and, and their parents were here and their brothers and sisters are here. So we try to build beyond the, beyond the, uh, beyond the field, but I know from a parental standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, it's hard navigating as a parent and kind of leaving it on the field. But from a parental standpoint, like trust the coaches that you have. And, you know, I, I do think this, these kids are just inundated, especially at these older ages where they just showcase and showcase and showcase and showcase yeah. and showcase, you know, like the, I think the, the platform that their travel teams have set up and these tournaments that they're in and playing at the level that they're playing against the talent that they're playing against is really the best way to showcase them. But it's a fine line, I guess. Just the phone. Yeah, don't fear of don't, missing it. don't com confuse improvement with exposure. And, you know, uh, Coach Kyle and I have talked about it all the time. Like, clubs, they vary. Like, this is a, the full spectrum, the best, the worst, from coaching to communication to events scheduling to the money part of it. Like, there's a full spectrum. They're, they're not, it's like restaurants. You know, like, there's really good restaurants and there's really bad restaurants. Yeah. Uh, I don't think sure. we should judge. Last thing I want to ask you guys is, is uh, the current game right now college game is super exciting but the pro game with the pll i mean last weekend i was in salt lake garrett apple is like brian spelina 2.0 i saw JT that play. jt giles harris <laughs> is, is like nikki polanco 2.0 and i feel like i'm kind of watching history sometimes i don't want to bring it up because they'll be like wow that guy's really old uh you know <laughs> but i was there like you know i was i was, I was I'll welcome playing anybody playing in that first final uh, next to the prison in, 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 uh, where were we in Connecticut or whatever <laughs> Connecticut, that was. Yeah. Connecticut. Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like the stories, we could really get into some fun stories, but what, tell me your impressions of the PLL and, and the modern pro player right now. I was watch. I watched the play, uh, Quint. I don't know. I, I heard you and Mark going at it there on the, on the broadcast. Uh, yeah. No. But... See, you both, you're just like Apple. I mean, because you guys know exactly what you're doing. When I first started watching you play, Brian, I was like, this guy's out of control. And then I realized, no, he's not out of control. He's not committing penalties in the fourth quarter. He's specifically targeting the soft guys. He's doing it early. It's making a point. Like, it's getting his team fired up. Like now this guy's he's 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 charted this out ahead of time. This this will be the, I used to turn to Joe and say, Well, the lizards are down three. Here comes this Polina headshot. You know, like <laughs> I used to tell my brother Joe when I he used to think, you gotta calm down. You know, even when we play hockey, I'm like, Joe, when I'm when I seem the most out of control, that's when I'm the most in control. Leave me alone. Yeah. Uh, I, I happen to love it. I, I think uh, you know, I don't know, we're lacrosse enthusiasts, right? We're 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 fans of it. So I DVR every game, every, uh, you know, we don't have to DVR anymore, right? With ESPN plus and the, you have so many opportunities to watch it. I love it. I love to watch it. Um, the college game is awesome. Uh, I would love, I, I really like the things that, you know, the PLL has done some of the things they've done with some of the camera angles. I think it's really unique with, uh, you guys being able to be on the field and in these guys' helmets and asking them questions in the moment. 
think that's really cool. I like the fact that they, they what did they shorten the field a little bit in the center of the field? I yeah. think the speed of the game is pretty, you know, kind of adds to the speed and the physicality of it. Um, you know, and so, I mean, there's, there's so many talented guys. I mean, it's, I don't think that has changed. I think it's just, these are the newer guys. Um, you know, there were tons of talented guys in, in all of our eras of lacrosse, but I think it's real. I, I, I do like some of the changes they've made. I think they've done a great job, even though it's not my wheelhouse or things that I'm interested in too much is it, it, with the, uh, the social media aspects of it and, and getting personal with guys and getting an opportunity to kind of know them a little bit more under the helmet. It's a, you know, it's, it's unique. I, I, I would like to, I personally feel like my one question, I guess I would have for it is how long can it last in the way that they're doing it, where these guys are forced to travel for days at a time for multiple weekends, because just because, you know, if you're not making a, a whole living off of it, you know is it sustainable i guess that would be my one question um you know when we played we had a home home turf so for whatever it was seven or eight games you're home and if you do have a family or you do have a job and you have to work on a friday you could be at that friday walk through and saturday game um and not always have have it impact your life so i wonder how long that can last but i do like a lot of the changes that they've made and uh i think you know hopefully it sticks i, I mean yeah, it's it's pushing the game forward from where I sit. I mean, I was down on the field last week at Salt Lake, and it reminded me the guys take the field, and it's like holy mackerel. Uh, I'm looking at Colsey, Gilbert, Millen, U2, like just this this level of athlete that that I, I don't see on Saturdays during the college season. I mean, it's 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 a different galaxy. Nick, Nikki, what 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 have you enjoyed or or taken away from from watching the pros now? Same thing. I, uh, I'm truly, I love it. I love watching, you know, um, you know, being again, being a student of the game, you know, I've always been a student of the game, even more now being a coach, you know, being a father, having that time to watch with my boys, learn, learn from these guys, the game, watching the game evolve. I mean, I think, you know, the speed, I feel like it's, it, it, I think it is a little bit faster than when we played overall, these guys, it's, it's quick, fast decisions, a little unorthodox, which I think is awesome versus, you know, the basic, you know, the old school mentality of just overhand, just this. I mean, I think it's really wild to watch, you know, people would say, oh, that play was a fluke. And then they do it two or three more times in a game. And that was on purpose. Right. So like that means they're practicing this. And I ask a ton of questions. You know, I got a chance to sit field level at Hofstra at the you know previous event um, with Paul and just watching it with my boys on, on the field. And it was they were just it was unbelievable to watch the, uh, the aggression, which I love. The passion, which is we love. I love that it's still there. Um, I'm fans of all those guys. I think it's awesome. And some of these older guys will poke holes. And, you know, I'm a fan of all of them. I think that's great that there's a stage for these guys to continue to play. Um, and, I, and I think, again, with the camera angles is, is incredible. The TV, you know, um, the opportunity for these you know, the guys to continue to grow the sport, which we love. Um, I, again, like what Brian said, I question whether when these, you know, these young players start having families, and, you know, I know what the struggle was there and how much are they really going to love it and want it. Like I cared so much and sacrificed from, you know, weddings, family time, parties, just to not just to play, but really it's off the field, like making sure the diet is right, making sure you exercise, your training, speed, you know, it's, it's full time job and being able, you know, a regular full time job, plus, you know, being put the time in to be able to be your best on the field. You know, that's I'm curious to see, like Brian said, traveling for three or four days. So, um I love it overall. Tremendous. Yeah, this, the, the strength of this game has always been the people. It was back in the day when you guys were playing, and it is now in the PLL. The, I, I'm just blown away by the effort, 
the athletic ability, the creativity, like everything, uh, very similar to, to when you guys were playing, uh, just in a, a different decade, let's say, uh, but, but it, it's, it's all good. And, and, uh, want to thank you guys for coming on coach Cottle. I hope this was okay for, for Cottle's you, corner. Hey, Quinn, I have one uh -oh. thing to say. And, and you know my just, social security uh, number, so cut that check. <laughs> All right. Here's what I'd like to say to here's what I'd like to say to you guys. We had a guy named Jimmy Bernhardt who was a friend of Quinn and, oh, yeah. and, and myself. And obviously Jesse played with Brian and and Nikki. He was a rookie at the Bayhawks when those guys were there. And he said something that I think holds very true to professional lacrosse. He says, You're not a professional lacrosse player because you play pro lacrosse. You're a professional lacrosse player because you work out, you compete, you prepare, and you're willing to make the guys around you better. That's what makes you a professional lacrosse player. And I would say that these two guys, from the time they got on the field, they've done nothing but make the people around them better. And uh, I, I really appreciate the time that these guys have taken. And it's, uh, people are going to be – it's very fortunate not only to, to watch them play, watch them compete, but also to have them in the locker room. And I, I want to thank both of you for your time. And, Quint, obviously your professionalism is why I asked you to do this. And uh, thank you so much for doing it.